This program is a production of the Reformed Forum, an organization devoted to producing and distributing Reformed theological content for a connected age. Online at reformedforum.org. This is East of Eden, a program devoted to the biblical and systematic theology of Jonathan Edwards. Welcome to East of Eden, a podcast devoted to the biblical and systematic theology of Jonathan Edwards. I'm Nick Batsig, your host, and this is our 19th episode. We are so thankful that you have again taken time to tune in and to learn with us as we consider more of the rich biblical and systematic theology of the man who is called the greatest mind America ever produced. Last February, I was at the Jonathan Edwards for the Church Conference in Durham University, and I was there to deliver a lecture and also to be a representative of the Reform Forum in East of Eden. And so over the next three episodes, we are going to release one lecture each episode from that conference. The first of the three lectures that we're going to release is, was that given by Doug Sweeney on Edwards, on the divinity, necessity, and power of the Word of God in the world. All the lectures from the conference will be published in a forthcoming evangelical press volume on Jonathan Edwards for the Church, but we hope that you enjoy Doug Sweeney on Edwards, on the divinity, necessity, and power of the Word of God in the world. Thank you, Bill, and thank you, Roy, and everybody else who's been leading this conference. It's been wonderful. It's been a feast for me, and I consider it a great privilege to to be here with you. Edwards believed deep in his bones that the Bible was divine. He also judged correlatively that the people best equipped to understand its scope and teachings and interpret them for others were the ones with the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.16 those inhabited by the very same Holy Spirit of God who first inspired the biblical writers and now unites believers to Christ, the eternal word of God, helping humble, holy Christians plumb the deep things of God, 1 Corinthians 2.10, by illuminating their exegetical efforts. Edwards knew that some in his day thought the Bible should be handled much as any other book, without presumption of divinity, in text or exegete. He perused such writers avidly, consulting the work of many he assumed were natural men, again, 1 Corinthians 2, to interpret Holy Writ. Still, with most other Christians since the time of the apostles, he thought that they were wrong, that is, the natural men, were wrong about the nature of the Bible and thus the best way to understand its meanings. In what follows, I present the fruit of Edwards' thought and preaching on the character of Scripture based on years of careful gleaning through the whole of Edwards' corpus. Inasmuch as Edwards never wrote a treatise on this subject or even a published article, I've had to organize his thoughts on Scripture for him loosely. I ask for your indulgence as I air what Edwards said in a rather non-traditional way for a more systematic Uh, Treatment of Edwards' View of Revelation or Divine Communication, Bill Schweitzer's book is wonderful. God is a Communicative Being, published by T.N.T. Clark in 2012. But to ministers who listen, as I limb for you what Edwards said of the nature of the Bible 
and the qualities of auditors who understand it best, I can promise edification. I feature Edwards' conviction that the Bible is from God and that the spirit-filled believer has a cognitive advantage when it comes to biblical learning. I conclude with some practical exhortation. Edwards often spoke of Scripture as the very Word of God, an emanation of his glory. Not surprisingly, considering his doctrine of the Trinity, he also wrote of Scripture as the precious Word of Christ, or, quote, the epistle of Christ that he has written to us. The Bible bears the voice of God to us by virtue of the Spirit. It evokes in us a strange and unaccountable kind of enchantment, unquote. God caters to our weakness when he speaks to us in Scripture. He condescends to finitude, accommodating ignorance, but speaks nonetheless for his glory and our good. Thus, the Bible is, quote, a perfect rule and guide to true happiness, It functions, when appropriated in faith and earnest practice, as an essential word of life, a sweet, life-giving word, unquote. Edwards held what can seem today an especially high view of the Bible's inspiration, quite common though it was among the Christians in his world. He taught that God indicted the scriptures. It's an English word we don't use very much anymore but it meant proclaimed or pronounced or composed them. And God did this through the Bible's human authors, thus dictating to ministers the things they are to preach. He followed Maastricht's reading of 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, etc., which was rather commonplace among traditional Protestants. He quoted Owen on the manner in which the canon was inspired, in a note on the pattern of the temple given to David. Quoting here. This is, I'm quoting Edwards quoting Owen. But they agreed, so just take it as one quote. (laughs) The Spirit of God acted and guided the prophets as to the very organs of their bodies, whereby they expressed the revelation which they had received by inspiration from him. They spake as they were acted by the Holy Ghost, that's 2 Peter. So when David had received the pattern of the temple and the manner of the whole worship of God therein by the Spirit, he says, All this the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me, even all the work of this pattern. First Chronicles twenty-eight nineteen. The Spirit of God not only revealed it unto him, but so guided him in writing of it down as that he might understand the mind of God out of what himself had written. Or he gave it him so plainly and evidently as if every particular had been expressed in writing by the finger of God, unquote. Many other Reformed writers had a similar view of the matter. All allowed that God inspired different genres differently, using multiple human authors in a variety of settings, with a diversity of pedigrees, temperaments, and styles. In the words of William Ames, used by Edwards well at Yale, divine inspiration was present among the biblical writers in different ways. Some things were altogether unknown to the writer in advance, 
as appears in the history of past creation or in the foretelling of things to come. But some things were previously known to the writer, as appears in the history of Christ written by the apostles. Some things were known by a natural knowledge and some by a supernatural. In those things that were hidden and unknown, divine inspiration was at work by itself. In those things which were known or where the knowledge was obtained by ordinary means, there was added the writer's devout zeal so that God assisting them, they might not err in writing, unquote. These Reformed theologians rarely verged on a passive view of scriptural dictation, as if God had dropped the Bible from the blue on golden plates. But neither did they focus on the personal contributions of the Bible's human authors to the degree that most late modern biblical scholars would. In the main, they taught, in Edward's words, that God chose his penmen, gave them ears to hear him speaking, and extraordinary gifts for relaying his word to others, and revealed in and through them, quote, an infallible rule of faith and works and manners to the church, a sure rule which if we follow, we cannot err, unquote. As one would assume, given his lofty view of biblical inspiration, Edwards sided with thinkers like Calvin, who said that scripture is self-authenticated, autopiston, full of inherent proof of its divine source and power. He affirmed the famed defense of the Puritan's plain translation of the Psalter in the Massachusetts Bay Psalm book, God's altar needs not our polishings. The Puritans in Massachusetts said. Edward said as much himself scores of times throughout his life, for as he put the matter briefly in his book, Religious Affections, the gospel of the blessed God don't go abroad a begging for its evidence, so much as some think it has its higher and most proper evidence in itself, unquote. He attributed the faith of true believers in the word to what he called intrinsic signatures of divinity within it. They see that excellency, an image of God in the word, he attested, that constrains the mind to assent to it and embrace it as true and divine. Or morphing sensory metaphors, the Lord's people hear God speak, I'm quoting a lot here, amid the pages of the Bible. They recognize his voice. To them, he speaks like a god. His speech is excellent, holy, wise, awful, and gracious, Edwards claimed. He compared this recognition of the voice of God in Scripture to the glimpse that Peter got of Jesus' glory in the Gospels on the Mount of Transfiguration. Quote, Peter, when he saw this, his mind was strongly carried to believe, and he was sure that Christ was a divine and holy person without sitting down to reason upon it. He was convinced and assured at once irresistibly and was, as it were, intuitively certain, unquote. Likewise, saints sense the presence and glory of God within his word. It is a lamp that shines a heavenly light of glory round about them. Or as Jeremiah prophesied so many years ago, it is a fire and a hammer that dissolves the rocky hearts of the children of men, unquote. 
In keeping with tradition, Edwards touted both external and internal proofs for the Bible's credibility. God is not wont to speak to men, he told his flock, without providing us sufficient means to know that he is speaking. He has given the world great evidence that scripture is his word. Both external and internal evidence abounds. There are all the kinds of evidence for scripture, he averred, it is possible a revelation should have. There are all kinds of internal evidences from the majesty, holiness, sublimity, harmony, etc. And there are all kinds of external evidences, prophecy and miracles confirmed outside the canon. Nevertheless, he deemed the Bible's inner testimony best for most people. Scripture is for all, he taught, and laity have little time to trudge through the evidence that lies beyond its bounds. Most are simply, quote, not capable of any certain or effectual conviction of the divine authority of the scriptures by such arguments as learned men make use of, he advised. Common people need the Spirit's help discerning the word of God, and this is part of what he grants to those who turn to him in faith. The child of God doth see and feel the truth of divine things, he said. The saints, quote, can feel such a power and kind of omnipotency in Christianity and taste such a sweetness and see such wisdom, such an excellent harmony in the gospel as carry their own light with them and powerfully do enforce and conquer the ascent and necessitates their minds to receive it as proceeding from God and as the certain truth. Unquote. Whether or not we taste this sweetness, see this wisdom, and believe, Edwards taught that Holy Scripture always wins its way in the world, ever glorifies the Lord by vindicating truth and justice. God's word always comes as a conqueror, he claimed. Those not conquered by conversion shall be conquered by destruction and the execution of its threatenings, unquote. He cautioned congregations in this manner time and again, threatening everyone who listened with the power of the word and giving enemies a reason to call him obstinate and proud. While still in his late twenties, he forewarned his wary flock, when God sends his messengers to preach his word, his word shall not be in vain. God will obtain his end. Let men treat his word how they will. Three, year later, three years later, he reminded them, if scripture don't profit you, it shall hurt. It will be either food or poison. It shall not return void, unquote. Shortly after George Whitfield swept through town the first time in October of 1740, bringing the Great Awakening with him, Edwards tried to get his people to improve on what they heard. The word of God will take hold of all that hear it, he assured them, whether in one way or another. Every part of the message that God sends shall be effectual. To the elect, word and spirit yield eternal salvation. To reprobates, everlasting condemnation. Unquote. Thus truly religious persons, those who appreciate the power and authority of scripture, often, quote, tremble at God's word. And that's Isaiah 66. They find it piercing, awful, and tremendous, Edwards noted, 
and their hearts melt before it. The word in its powerful efficacy in mortifying sin and converting people to Christ does cut the soul asunder. So at Psalm 29.3, the God of glory thundereth, Edwards wrote in the blank Bible, quote, Lightning and thunder is a very lively image of the word of God. Tis exceeding quick and exceeding piercing and powerful to break in pieces and scorch and dissolve and is full of majesty. As he put this to his congregation in 1749, the hammer of the law subdues, subdues the heart with compulsion, but the fire of the gospel sweetly subdues. It kindles that holy flame in the soul that never shall go out. Trembling at the word, that is, could stem from either fear or sweet delight in the things of God. And while the former cause prevailed among the anxious and oppressed, the latter shot adrenaline through the saints. Edwards explained, Revelation is a sweet sort of knowledge to the Christian. He loves to view and behold the things of God. They are to him the most pleasing and beautiful objects in the world. He can never satisfy his eyes with looking on them because he beholds them as certain truths and as things of all the most excellent. Scripture is sublime to him. He cannot get his fill because as Edwards preached at Yale at the apex of the awakening, when God is at work in the world, he affects esteem for the word. In an effort to help students identify the work of God amid the fervor of revival and distinguish it from Satan's counterfeit spirituality, Edwards encouraged listeners to ground spiritual passion on the contents of the Bible. Quote, That spirit that operates in such a manner as to cause in men a greater regard to the Holy Scriptures and establishes them more in their truth and divinity is certainly the Spirit of God, he assured them. Preachers should do all they can, in Edward's estimation, to arouse such godly tremors in the saints. To be sure, quote, the impressing divine things on the hearts and affections of men is one of the main reasons God ordained the preaching of the word. And therefore, Edwards reasoned, it don't answer that aim merely for men to have good commentaries and other good books of divinity. While these may provide a good doctrinal or speculative understanding of the Bible, yet they have not an equal tendency to impress it on men's hearts and affections. Edwards granted that recalling what was heard in a sermon is oftentimes very profitable, but claimed that, for the most part, remembrance is from an impression the words make on the heart, and that memory profits people insofar as it renews and increases that impression. Thus, ministers should not shy away from poignant preaching. It is better for their people than the reading of good books, and it conveys a better feeling for the great things of God than, quote, a moderate, dull, indifferent way of speaking. An appearance, I'm quoting here continuously, an appearance of affection and earnestness in the manner of delivery if it be very great indeed, yet if it be agreeable to the nature of the subject and beant beyond a proportion to its importance and worthiness of affection, and there be no appearance of its being feigned or forced, 
has so much the greater tendency to beget true ideas or apprehensions in the minds of the hearers of the subject spoken of, and so to enlighten the understanding. I should think myself in the way of my duty to raise the affections of my hearers as high as possibly I can, provided that they are affected with nothing but truth and with affections that are not disagreeable to the nature of what they are affected with. Unquote. Mere cognition is deficient when it comes to holy writ until the word descends deep into the heart of the believer, bearing the passion fruit of love, it will not be understood. Was there ever an age wherein strength and penetration of reason, extent of learning, exactness of distinction, correctness of style, and clearness of expression did so abound? Edwards queried his enlightened modern readers. And yet, was there ever an age wherein there's been so little sense of the evil of sin, so little love to God, heavenly-mindedness, and holiness of life among the professors of the true religion? Our people don't so much need to have their heads stored as to have their hearts touched, he concluded famously. And they stand in the greatest need of that sort of preaching that has the greatest tendency to do this, unquote. Edwards testified frequently that word and spirit do in fact enthrall the twice-born. Persons after their conversion often speak of things as, of religion as seeming new to them, he said in his faithful narrative. It seems to them they never heard preaching before, that the Bible is a new book, they find there new chapters, new psalms, new histories, because they see them in a new light. He alleged, furthermore, that all true Christians have a conviction of the things of the gospel. And he offered several examples in his writings on revival and regenerate spirituality. His own zeal for scripture blossomed after his conversion. His congregation felt a yearning for the Bible as revival blazed in 1735. While God was so remarkably present amongst us by his spirit, there was, <clears throat> there was no book so delighted in as the Bible, Edwards wrote. He recounted to a clergy friend in Boston, Benjamin Coleman, during the same season of grace, quote, their esteem of the holy scriptures is exceedingly increased. There have been some instances of persons that by only an accidental sight of the Bible have been as much moved as a lover by the sight of his sweetheart. Further, his encomium to David Brainerd's passion for the Bible stood for decades as a standard of Edwardsian biblicism. Five days before he died, Brainerd lay in a bed in Edward's house, girding himself for glory. In the evening, as one came into the room with a Bible in her hand, he expressed himself thus, Oh, that dear book, that lovely book, I shall soon see it opened. The mysteries that are in it and the mysteries of God's providence will all be unfolded, unquote. Edwards taught that sacred scripture is essential to our flourishing, even in public life. He accentuated the need for both reason and revelation, for knowing both what reason and scripture declare on relevant matters. He thought the doctrines of Christianity themselves, quote, most rational, exceeding congruous to natural reason, 
Moreover, he affirmed the Catholic dictum that to understand the world and its relationship to God, we need the book of nature and the book of scripture. However, he prioritized the Bible over other sources of knowledge. As he argued in distinguishing marks of a work of the Spirit of God, all that is visible to the eye is unintelligible and vain without the word of God to instruct and guide the mind. And as he preached in a sermon on this theme a few years earlier, quote, we make a distinction between the things that we know by reason and things we know by revelation. But alas, we scarce know what we say. We know not what we should have known had it not been for revelation. Many of the principles of morality and religion that we've always been brought up in the knowledge of appear so rational that we're ready to think we could have found them out by our own natural reason. But all the learning, yea, all the common civility that there is in the world seems to be either directly or indirectly from revelation, whether men are sensible of it or not. Everything that is good and useful in this fallen world is from supernatural help. Unquote. This became a central theme in his response to English deists. In opposition to their call for a religion of nature and reason, Edwards insisted on the need of supernatural revelation, even for the maintenance of a healthy civic virtue. We've seen that he believed that God has spoken in the Bible. It is unreasonable, in fact, he said, to suppose that there should be a God, an intelligent, voluntary being that has so much concern with us, and with whom we have infinitely more concern than with any other being, and yet that he should never speak, unquote. Further, if God has really divulged himself in writing in the Bible, we should honor Holy Scripture as, quote, the fountain whence all knowledge in divinity must be derived. We should also grant it pride of place in secular conversation on the world and our place within it, topics treated by the deists and other non-traditional thinkers under natural religion. Edwards argued in his miscellanies in 1728, were it not for divine revelation, I'm persuaded that there is no one doctrine of that which we call natural religion, but would notwithstanding all philosophy and learning forever be involved in darkness, doubts, endless disputes, and dreadful confusion, unquote. He repeated this conviction in his notes on the importance of doctrines and of mysteries in religion. Many moderns, quote, deceive themselves through the ambiguity or equivocal use of the word reason, he wrote. They argue as though we must make our reason the highest rule to judge of all things, even the doctrines of revelation. But this way of rejecting everything but what we can first see for agreeable to our reason tends by degrees to bring everything relating not only to revealed religion, but even natural religion into doubt to make all appear with dim evidence, like a shadow or the ideas of a dream, till they are all neglected as worthy of no regard." Unquote. He also preached about this notion to the people of Northampton in a sermon later printed on the history of redemption. Our reason tells us much about the work of God in the world, he said, but nothing else informs us what the scheme and design of God in his works is but only the Holy Scriptures, unquote. Supernatural revelation and the spiritual light it offered were for Edwards essential for clarifying the nature of reality. 
It was not that the world could not be known without the Bible or that scripture was a textbook in history or natural science. Rather, for Edwards, word and spirit shone a light on worldly wisdom, rendering knowledge more real, sure, even beautiful than before. In a remarkable notebook entry dating from 1729, he depicted this so vividly that I quote him here at length. A man not spiritually enlightened by means of the Bible and God's spirit beholds spiritual things faintly, like fainting, fading shadows that make no lively impression on his mind. Like a man that beholds the trees and things abroad in the night, the ideas beant strong and lively and are very faint, and therefore he has but a little notion of the beauty of the face of the earth. But when light comes to shine upon them, then the ideas appear with strength and distinctness, and he has that sense of the beauty of the trees and fields given him in a moment, which he would not have obtained by going about amongst them in the dark in a long time. A man that sets himself to reason without divine light is like a man that goes into the dark, into a garden full of the most beautiful plants and most artfully ordered, and compares things together by going from one thing to another to feel of them and measure the distances. But he that sees by divine light is like a man that views the garden when the sun shines upon it. There's a light cast upon the ideas of spiritual things in the mind of a believer, which makes them appear clear and real, which before were but faint, obscure representations." Edward said as much in churches dozens of times throughout his life, heralding special revelation and the clarity it yielded as a brilliant heavenly light, which illuminated for saints a world more vivid, polydimensional, and brimming with vitality than anything they had ever known before. He told his people revelation works, quote, in the hearts of those who truly entertain it, like a light that shines in a dark place. The spiritual understanding it provided, furthermore, was like a gleam of light that breaks in upon the soul through a gloomy darkness. Of all the similitudes, in fact, employed in Scripture to describe to us this spiritual understanding, light is that which doth most fully represent it and is oftenest used." Edwards drafted scores of pages on this supernatural light as well as its role in the production of a spiritual understanding, stating that spiritual light from Scripture constitutes a greater blessing, quote, than any other privilege that ever God bestowed. Readers who receive this light and keep it bring forth Christ in their hearts. Christ is truly formed in them. They are bonded through the word with the living word of God, and this union is, quote, more blessed than to have Christ within one's arms or at the breast, as the Virgin Mary had. Spiritual knowledge even grants what Edward spoke of in a sermon as an earnest or the dawnings of the beatific vision. It enables the people of God to share in the very life of God, 2 Peter 1.4, for the assistance in the souls of those who have this special blessing, quote, is not only from the Spirit, but it also partakes of the nature of that spirit, 
unquote. The best posture for disciples who would understand the Bible, argued Edwards, was, quote, to sit at Jesus' feet. That is to say, they should go to him whose word it is and beg of him to teach. For he has reserved to himself this work of enlightening the mind with spiritual knowledge, and there is no other can do it. There is none teaches like God. With Mary of Bethany in the Gospels, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, who took a pound of ointment of spikenard very costly and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, they should be careful not to distract themselves with trouble about many things. Rather, as Jesus said to Martha, only one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, for she had clung to Christ and hung on his every word. Similarly, we should cling to every word that comes from the mouth of God. For, quote, the word of God is the great means of our eternal good. Tis the most necessary means, and without which our souls must famish. It is like milk, Edwards mused, flowing from the breasts of the church. It is like rain for which God's people have a great and earnest thirsting, unquote. Those who avoid this humble posture never really understand the true spirit of the Bible. Unconverted, proud people miss the Spirit's main points. As Edwards cautioned in a talk on Jeremiah 8.8, the pen of the scribes is in vain. Frightening word to academics like me. (laughs) Here's what Edwards said about it. The Bible is all in vain to them that continue in sin. Or as he said when treating passages like 1 Corinthians 2 or the parable of the sower, quote, There is a spiritual understanding of divine things which all natural and unregenerate men are destitute of. Natural men and hypocrites may boast of an extensive understanding and may have natural abilities in a much greater strength than a godly man and may abound in acquired knowledge and may be able to reason with great strength about the holy scriptures and the doctrines of religion. But yet... He does not, nor can he, understand the word of God. Ungodly men are so far from understanding the word of God that those things that are the main things of Revelation, the principal things of the gospel, and what are the very quintessence and end of all, are what they have no notion at all of, and which the godly only apprehend. As particularly things such as these, the glory of God the excellency and fullness of Jesus Christ, the nature of holiness, the reason and foundation of duty. These things are the very main things of the scripture. They are the greatest doctrines of God's word. And they are the very end of revelation and its life and soul. And yet yet they are such as natural men have no idea or apprehension of, unquote. Edwards granted that God lavished common grace and what he called illuminations on the unconverted scholar. But God gave the Holy Spirit to the godly reader of Scripture and thus tendered her a cognitive advantage. A regenerate person, quote, sees things in a new appearance, in quite another view than ever he saw before. He sees the wonderfulness of God's designs and a harmony in all his ways a harmony, excellency, and wondrousness in his word. 
He sees these things by an eye of faith and by a new light that was never before let into his mind. Further, spiritual knowledge grows by the practice of virtue and holiness, a practice not pursued by those too proud to serve the Lord. For we cannot have the idea of anything in the mind, whether physical or spiritual, without the adapted disposition of mind. And the more suitable the disposition, the more clear and intense the idea. But the more we practice, the more is the disposition increased, unquote. Others had said as much before, though not always with the same psychological apparatus. Such epistemological claims date from the age of the ancient church and had been echoed in Edward's favorite, had been echoed in Edward's favorite early modern Protestant sources. Even the Westminster divines confessed the inward illumination of the Spirit of God to be necessary for the saving understanding of such things as are revealed in the Word. But after the rise of higher criticism, especially after Spinoza's opposition to the notion that the Spirit gave believers needed help interpreting Scripture, Edwards felt a burden to proclaim this doctrine boldly, and he did so with greater specificity than most. The believer has such a sight and such a knowledge of things that ever since conversion, he's become another man, Edwards preached. The knowledge that he has is so substantial, so inward, and so affecting that it has quite transformed the soul and changed his innermost principles. Twenty years later, he repeated this assertion in his opus on the affections. Quote, A spiritual taste of soul mightily helps the soul in its reasonings on the word of God and in judging of the true meaning of its rules as it removes the prejudices of a depraved appetite and naturally leads the thoughts in the right channel, casts a light on the word of God and causes the true meaning most naturally to come to mind. Unquote. Edwards gleaned from Locke's essay concerning human understanding to explain this cognitive change. Or at least he made use of idealist understandings of the way we come to know things and combined them with the language of sensationalist psychology. He was neither a strict empiricist nor a thoroughgoing rationalist, and though he did read the essay, he did not usually cite it when developing this theme. As he argued in the affections, quote, the passing of a right judgment on things depends on a having a right apprehension or idea of things in the mind. And regrettably, unconverted sinners lack a sense of divine things. He expanded on this notion in a miscellaneous notebook. Quote, Sinners must be destitute even of the ideas of many spiritual and heavenly things and of divine excellencies because they don't experience them. It's impossible for them so much as to have the idea of faith, trust in God, holy resignation, divine love, Christian charity, because their mind is not possessed of those things. Edwards believed that this was why, quote, the things of the gospel seem so tasteless and insipid to the natural man. They're a parcel of words to which they in their own minds have no correspondent ideas. It is like a strange language or a dead letter. 
That is, sounds and letters without any signification. And as he preached about this doctrine using Locke's famed description of direct and reflex knowledge, quote, there is a direct knowledge and there is a reflex knowledge. And I'm not quoting Locke now, I'm quoting Edwards who's using Locke here. The direct knowledge is the knowledge the Christian hath of divine things without himself, of the truth and excellency of the things of the gospel. The reflex knowledge is that which he obtains by reflecting and looking inward upon his own heart and seeing the operations and actings of that and the workings of the Spirit of God therein. By this reflection, the Christian obtains to know what regeneration is. And what are those actings of the Spirit of God which are so frequently spoken of in Scripture and the whole applicatory part of religion, which is one half of divinity and which every natural man is ignorant of, unquote. Word and spirit leave no mark upon the unconverted mind. The natural man may obtain extensive knowledge of the Bible, its ancient Near Eastern backgrounds, its writers and their languages, but not the spiritual data it describes. Even the saints, though, must work to understand the Bible rightly. Their regenerate disposition rarely obviates the need for careful study of the canon. We must be much in reading the scriptures, Edwards urged his people often, if we would get spiritual knowledge. We must be pretty well versed in the scriptures before we can see their scope and drift, their connection, harmony, and agreement, he explained. A notional knowledge of divine things must go before a spiritual, for intimacy with God comes from time spent in reading the Bible, meditation, and prayer, not just superficial spiritual trysts or rapturous affairs. As Edwards liked to say to business people in his parish, God, quote, gives us the gold, in providing us with scripture, but bequeaths it in a mine that we might dig for it and get it in a way of our own industry. This deepens our desire for it and draws us near to him. If biblical treasure were, quote, thrown plentifully before every man's face and everyone could have it without any labor or industry, it would not be prized as it now is, unquote. Edwards prized the Bible dearly, more than anything in the world, for it put him in touch with God more reliably and constantly than anything in the world. Intimate knowledge and love of God loomed on Edwards' mental horizon as a pearl of great price, the holy grail of exegesis. He attended to the word of God to get to know his maker and to imitate his Lord, sharing fellowship with God by the help of the Holy Spirit, and enabling those to whom he spoke and wrote to do the same. Do we share Edward's love for, attention to, and confidence in the power of the word? Does it ever make us tremble? Or have we grown so concerned about the sin of bibliolatry that questions such as this appear naive and superstitious? Edwards could have learned a lot about the history of the Bible and its ancient Near Eastern context from late modern successors. He committed numerous errors in his biblical exegesis, 
some of which were fueled by early modern Protestant prejudice. But we can learn from him about the speech, strength, and signatures of God in Holy Scripture, which could lead by the Spirit to the breaking down of our own cultural biases. Naturalistic tendencies surround Western Christians in the early 21st century. They pervade our churches and schools, yielding spiritual complacency and outright unbelief. Edwards faced these problems too. He spent his life serving a state church in the age of Christendom and felt a burden to combat the plague of nominal Christianity. He demonstrates the potential of laboring to instill a vivid sense, an urgent impression of God's activity in the world of those entrusted to our care. In fact, the reason we read him today is that he bolsters our belief in and raises our affections with the reality of God and God's activity in our midst. So as ministers in mostly non- or post-Christian cultures, we would do well to follow his lead in working creatively to stem the tide of unbelief and apathy, encouraging instead a robust biblical supernaturalism. God is calling us now, as he called Edwards long ago, to deepen the faith of those around us in the reality, the centrality, the beauty, and practicality of the things of God in Scripture. Lord, help us in this crucial task. Help us by your Spirit to taste and see that you are good and to share this spiritual sense more effectively with others. We pray these things for Jesus' sake.